Welcome to the Force Matters podcast, powered by Motusi. I'm J.D. Romick. And I'm Jonathan Ang. We're here to have disruptive, inclusive, and informative dialogue at the intersection of technology, research, and clinical practice. Our promise to sort through the BS so you don't have to. Our focus is what matters to your musculoskeletal health. Welcome back, Force Matters podcast listeners. It's J.D. Romick. And John Ng. And today we have an amazing conversation with Steph Allen. She has founded a, an online mentorship called the Level Up Initiative, which is where I initially met her um, as a mentor for the program and has started her own mobile ACL practice. And we are so stoked to dive into some of the business strategies, but also she really dives into how she measures things, what she measures, what's important, and also some encouragement at the end. Yeah, I think she does a good job of, of setting a, setting herself apart in the in the value that she is able to vi- provide as she, you know, has released herself from the traditional sort of insurance model. Um, you know, maybe not for everybody, but I think a, a good thought provoking and uh, interesting perspective on what other opportunities there may be, or, or should I say alternative opportunities there may mm-hmm. be in, uh, in your career as a PT. I love this episode. Enjoy. Um, this is amazing. So we're stoked that Chris is here too. So he's part of what we call our motion science team. He is at TAI. Um, Chris, for some background, I met Stephanie through the Level Up initiative. She and Zach co-founded this company basically to try to level up PTs when they came out of the field to communicate better with patients, to have better clinical biopsychosocial skills, like all sorts of different um, things that new grads aren't really well versed in at school. So it was a really amazing mentorship that I got to help mentor PTs. And Steph, just some background on the podcast and what we're doing feels very similar to level up. Like we really want to have conversations with big minds in the field of PT to come up with creative, innovative solutions to whether it's measuring things that matters. I mean, it's called force matters. And I think with ACL rehab, we're probably going to get into that a little bit because that's kind of your your niche area right now, which I really am excited to talk about your business and how you've kind of broken the mold. But we're really interested in deepening these conversations and really trying to get PT to be practicing at the top of its license, whatever it looks like. Um, and it seems like you're really kind of a pioneer in this kind of new age of, you know, millennial, Gen Z, like our new kind of wave of, of big thinkers. So really excited to talk to you more just about you. Um, so we'd love to know the high points. So tell our audience what, you know, your background, like the, the things that they want, that you want them to know about you. And then I really want to jump into your business. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I'm very pumped to be on. And even just the little bit that I know uh, coming into this and what you guys are describing is, I feel like my brain's already going as far as what, how, how I could, how we could potentially use this in the future, um, particularly for the ACL population. Um, so I won't jump right into that. I'll save that for the good stuff in the middle. But um, yeah, so I, I guess what I would want people to know um, is that I very likely, there's a lot of clinicians listening to this. Um, I started probably in the same place that you all did. Um, and I actually, after 
graduating and went to Ithaca College and I graduated and still felt like I didn't know anything. So I naturally, uh, ironically, residencies were like not really a thing then. I graduated in 2013, um, which is kind of nuts now, but uh, it was something that when I asked about it, I was like, I thought that was for like medical school residents. I didn't know that was for for people in PT school. So I was like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it would be something I'd love. Um, and I did, I stayed in Ithaca and I did an ortho residency, um, was exposed to a lot of things that I'm super grateful for, specifically things like pain science that we had never mentioned in our curriculum. They did later on at Ithaca's, uh, in Ithaca's curriculum. Um, but not in, not for our class. So that was huge. It made me start to question things. And then I think that that ability and that intro to critical thinking, even just around pain science and things that we had always done a certain way, uh, really set me up well to continue to ask questions in other realms. Um, so then I actually did something spontaneous for me and did travel PT for a couple of years. Um, and that was, I think, where probably the actual fire started for ACL rehab. Obviously, I had an interest because I had that injury in high school. But what I started to become frustrated with was it didn't seem to matter across state lines, the quality of care that this particular population got. And by that, I mean insurance was usually cut off at three or four months if you were lucky. Um, they would discharge people and basically instruct anywhere from young athletes to 40s and 50s active individuals, just kind of tell them to slowly ramp back up to stuff. No testing, nothing. And um, I was really, I was confused slash, you know, maybe I was naive going into that realm of my career. Um, so then when I ended up back in Boston at a full-time place. That was my, uh, my focus was to really get much better, um, work in a place where I wasn't moving around and really try to figure this out and at least locally, you know, serve the people in that realm the best that I could. Um, just recently, the next chapter started and um, a little over actually a little over two years now, I started ACL Resolve, um, mostly born out of, you know, frustration. Each each change, I feel like, sort of just came out of necessity or frustration. Um, you know, and I'll be interested to hear your guys' initial starting point, too, whether that's on the podcast or off. But, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff comes out of, like, there has to be a better way to do this, right? So that's essentially what happened. And although we absolutely loved where we worked, and it was pretty much the best you could get in the insurance model. The insurance model for a lot of people with an ACL injury um, just didn't always cut it. And then the answer, unfortunately, in my case was to do stuff outside of my hours and be on the phone with insurance companies. Uh, I can think of a couple of people off the top of my head that I was writing a progress note for every other visit to try to get them to. So classic sort of, um, recipe for burnout, if you will. So that's where the idea of even starting my own thing came up. Um, and it just felt like the right time in our life. We were going through some other transitions. You know, we just recently moved and um, 
it has really allowed me to not only reach people outside of locally to me who don't have good resources, but also gave me more time to actually do things like think about what kind of message I want to put out on social media and educate people and the connections that I've been able to make with other practitioners and other people that do testing in other um, realms of the, like in other areas of the country that I can send clients to or people that ask me questions. So it's really been rewarding in some ways that I didn't anticipate. Um, and that's what I'm doing now. That's awesome. I have a couple questions because I think there are probably a lot of PTs listening that are in the same boat or maybe they're students and they're like seeing the reality of being in an outpatient ortho clinic or they're maybe want to be a travel PT or they maybe want to work in a hospital. But what what were the nuts and bolts? Like what were the steps that you went through after you left to say, okay, I need to get my ducks in a row to be able to go on my own? Did you hire a business coach? Did you take courses? Like what, what were some resources that you heavily leaned on because PT school doesn't really teach entrepreneurship very well either. So this is unique. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So full transparency, I was still working part-time for the first almost two years, like year and a half, and year and three quarters, I guess. Um, COVID uniquely put us in a situation, I'm sure there's plenty of stories like this, but for our small business, our owner, our boss, it made more sense at the time for him to have all of us go down to part-time hours um, and for us to go on part-time unemployment. There was something with like the small business loan that um, I'm not gonna pretend to know, but it made more sense. So when everybody transitioned back after, I might've been, I don't know, like three months or so, um, maybe longer than that, COVID's a time warp. But when everybody kind of came back full-time, we had already made the decision, especially with, um, visions and plans we had for, at that time, it was in the transition of level up merging with clinical athletes. So now it's Calu, but um, we had some things on the horizon anyway that we were like, well, let's just try, you know, for what we need, we could take in what we need um, consistently there and starting to make a little bit on the other end. Um, so I, I already, we already had fewer hours to deal with. Like I wasn't working 40 hours. And that definitely afforded me a little bit of time. That being said, even being like 26 or 28 hours, whatever we were, was still a lot for that first year and a half. I'm still kind of wondering exactly how I did that. But um, I I joined um, the Honey Badger Project and they are basically an incubator for mission-driven businesses. So it was interesting and I had looked into things like um, other platforms that actually claim to be specifically business coaching and um, just kind of what resonated with me and with them um, about their message was that it wasn't necessarily just that and it's more so about people who legitimately are leading with a purpose and a passion versus just they want to make money um, and I think as PTs I don't know where it gets ingrained, or maybe it's just the type of people that decide to become a PT, but I definitely had some resistance to like making money. Like you were so used to working for somebody and we're so, so, you know, a lot of 
what they were able to help me with there was also being okay with like putting together a price structure and and all that kind of stuff and being able to have a discovery call with people and not feel like you're just trying to hammer them and sell them something. Um, so those are all the fears that I had going into it. But I would say that um, I can confidently say that without that guidance, and I'm still I'm still a part of it um, because the ongoing coaching and the other tiers that they have are something that's for me at this point, definitely invaluable. So I definitely would mention them, but I also would say that even just having already been a part of Level Up in Kalu, that that really provided me, I think, with the initial confidence and even like ability to ask, okay, maybe I can do this. Like maybe I can start something from, from nothing. Um, and then the last piece I would say is I've just been super fortunate over the years to develop authentic relationships with a few mentors, um, specifically in the ACL realm too. And everybody was like, Steph, just do it. <laughs> so that that was kind of like the the last nudge that I needed, if you will. Congratulations. That's that's it's it's good to take a risk. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? You just gotta go find another job, right? Well, that's that's what I told my parents. <laughs> so <laughs> if, it, if, if all else fails, I can just get a job somewhere. Not that I want to do that, but because uh, that was definitely, um, you know, especially our parents' generations, it was very like, like you want to do what? <laughs> uh, Steph, I have a question for you. So one of our tenets of the podcast, right, is that we want, if people are going to listen to our podcast and take the time to do that, then we want to make sure that... Um, we give significant value back to our to our listeners, right? And um, and you know one of the things that you just hit on in, in your path uh, along here with with the Honey Badger project um, was asking for money, right? Being putting a value on your time and your and yourself. And I I wanted to ask. I have a challenge with this too. I have a cash pay practice, and so I've always struggled with that a little bit as well. And um, but certainly not as much as like you kind of highlighted, like the rest of our profession, right? Um, <clears throat> but what, what advice might you have to, to other PTs out there uh, about asking for money, right? Or putting a value on your time? Um, love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be lying if I said I, I still don't wrestle with it a little bit, but I think that what is a super helpful, like continual reminder for me is, and this is specific to to my niche, but I'm sure this would apply to any other population that people just really enjoy working with. Um, the difference between what people are getting with, and this is most other general outpatient places for somebody with an ACL injury, but there's such a stark contrast between what they're getting and the amount of care and time and intent that goes into, you know, I have a very small team now. I'm super lucky, but, you know, essentially it was just me for a long time and just the, what I knew was going into it and how much better off people could be. Um, if I just maybe was like a little bit more curious with them on a discovery call and said like, Hey, you know, why do you think that? Or why do you think maybe right now isn't the right time or whatever? Um, that definitely helps. Cause then it, it's more of a frame of mind of these people actually need this. It's not something that it's, that it is, 
they could take it or leave it. Their other option is very likely going to end up in not a great outcome. And I have, I have the ability to potentially step in there. So it's almost, I don't know the right word. It's almost like unethical for me to not, you know, show them the, the value of something like this. And, um, and the other thing I think about is almost like, I mean, that's the bigger piece is just knowing, knowing what they're getting, like knowing that I've poured my heart and soul into this. And this is something that um, they can absolutely only benefit from. Um, the other piece that I think about in, in my mind too, is like, I think about what I spend on a monthly basis. If I, for, for right now, at least for what the offers, especially being fully virtual, um, eventually I would love to have a space, but we're a little, a little ways away from that. But, um, with what it is right now and what the, if you were to break it up per month, what that comes out to for what I'm actually asking people for it. Some people it's less than what their copay is if they went two to three times a week. So it's not something that's like a crazy high ticket. Um, and so for me, those things kind of help me stay comfortable with it. And, you know, on that end too, if you're really comfortable with it, it might mean that eventually it's time to increase a little bit, but, you know, depending on what they're, what they're getting or what, you know, the business has definitely evolved since I started. So um, the value of it now, I would argue is definitely more from when I started as well. But um, I think those things really help me too. Cause I even think about like skincare products that I buy monthly. If I didn't buy those, I could afford something like this easily. <laughs> it's so true. You look at concert tickets or um, vinyl records. I don't know, like people buy and value certain things that um, when they're ready for it or if it's important enough to them, they will invest. And so it can get discouraging for sure when people, you hear a lot of no's, but there will be that audience that you find. So I have a question about your social media then. So you, I would say are leveraging social media really well, but is that where you get majority of your business? Do you recommend people use social media or have you found your avenues outside of that, like cold calling or emailing or going to do outreaches? Like what has been the most beneficial for your business? I would say almost entirely it's social media at this point. Like I don't have a website or anything. Um, but I think that another thing for context and to, to help people understand a little bit is I've been practicing for 10 and change years and specifically really diving heavy into the ACL portion of PT for the last five to six, really. And so when I started this, I had a little bit of a reputation. I had a network, I had contacts. So like when it's similar, like if somebody goes to start their own business and, you know, after being a PT for a certain amount of time, let's say I actually opened up a place, people are going to, old patients and stuff will hear and then they refer people to you. So it's almost like the virtual version of that. Um, so I've been super fortunate in that sense. Um, former uh, clin ed students, like, so, you know, just like it kind of, kind of out of the woodwork. So I would say I do, we do get a good number of referrals, but the other piece is also, you know, for a long time, even before I started my business, what I really wanted to dedicate a lot of my social media to was to be informational kind of first. I know that so many students and new grads and other clinicians follow myself and Zach again, credit to Level Up and now Kalu, that 
I was very well aware of who most of my audience was prior to starting the business. So definitely made a shift towards um, a mix between students and clinicians and potential clients for sure. Like the, the wording and the messaging changed a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like, I don't have like a newsletter or like, these are all things that eventually will, will happen. But, um, right now it ironically is mostly Instagram and word of mouth. So how, with a cash pay business or not having the confines of insurance, it, it seems that your um, emphasis on va delivering value to your customers is is paramount. So how do you how do you focus on that? How do you package that? How do you message that to ensure that the value is there? And then I think a second part of that question is because there's going to be a cost. The cost has to be associated with your expenses. So you have to make a certain amount, which means you have to give a certain amount so they feel they're getting more than they're paying. How do you manage that with all the latitude you now have practicing by yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think that the the biggest piece, and this is maybe maybe an unfortunate side of the current standard, is um, is honestly that they just get they get a plan, they get questions answered between their workouts, they get accountability, they get support, um, which is just not something that even other clinicians in the general insurance model, even if they care enough to uh, like about that population, they honestly, their hands are tied often because they have to see like, you know, JD alluded to productivity standards and things like that. It's like they almost, their hands are tied in their ability to, to provide that next level of support outside of, you know, maybe maybe 60 minutes if they get somebody twice a week 60 minutes there's just so much particularly for this population and a lot of other post-op populations i think that they need to be doing stuff every day a lot of times in the beginning and then later on they need to also be training pretty heavy like they're returning to sport like those demands need to be there and oftentimes it's just not something that can happen in a 30 to 60 minute window twice a week in the clinic and then because those are the times that the PT is clocked in and out for, they can't shoot them a message on a Friday and be like, hey, this has been really bothering me or worrying me and like get an answer within 24 to 48 hours. Um, so it's almost like, not sure what the best word is. It's like concierge without being concierge. It's like, uh, because I now have the time. And again, as the business evolves, there are certain day-to-day -day things that I might be a little less involved with and and have a team that you know cares as much as I do to help with that. That's kind of the the longer term vision. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if that fully answers your question, or maybe I just answered the second part. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, that's great. I mean, yeah, so so how do you? I guess the to poke a little bit more. How do you ensure that your patient is getting the value out of it that you perceive you're giving him because it seems like you value the concierge i'm there for you i'm giving you a program how do you assure each step of the way that each individual patient is experiencing that value that they need out of the relationship got you yeah so we have um regular feedback forms that go out automatically after a certain number of weeks of participation they fill out weekly written check-ins and then there's also periodic zoom uh call check-ins so a part, a recurring part of all of those pieces are asking what is going well, what's not going well, what can we do to um, 
so essentially right now that's the repetitive like checking ourselves uh method because people aren't in person um unless they're local i'm able to see you know people and again even even the local would be less frequent with programming in between it would likely mostly be for um for testing purposes but but yes we do kind of have those those checkpoints built in um and then the thing that i've really learned a lot from and that i enjoy about having the zoom check-ins is you especially being like that having the in-person aspect of it for 10 plus years is great because we if you're paying enough attention you become really good at reading people and reading nonverbals. so i'm in a spot now in my career and just like my adult life where i am comfortable being like you know like you just said poking holes in a little bit like can i ask a further question about that or can i like because sometimes people will want to make you feel good right like they're they're paying for services it's like you want to you want to go um return something and you're like i'm sorry to bother you but like this this button is off or whatever it's like it's not your fault <laughs> you know what i mean but i know that the the people pleasing um phenomenon is within everyone so now it's you know that's also why the zoom check-ins although less frequent because obviously time management um and not fully trading time for money is something i don't want to fall into because that's what we did in the clinic but um that's really helpful to i think catch anything that might fall between the cracks with some of the other check-ins What's up, everyone? We uh, wanted to interrupt this amazing Force Matters podcast from a word from our sponsors. Motusi is a technology company. It has engineered athletic wear with embedded sensors that are unnoticeable as you exercise. The kit is comfortable to wear and it's washable. As you move, your data is securely captured in a lightweight module and sent to your Motusi app. This is for in-lab and clinical settings. There's also an in-lab kit with strap-on sensors that provide most versatility to um, use across multiple patients. All of this technology quickly and easily assesses patients at each session to set up a baseline and track progress. For more information, head to the website at motusi.com, watch our videos, see how it works, follow us on Instagram at motusicorp and see how we're integrating the tech into our day-to-day and changing the field of physical therapy. Now, enjoy the podcast. I'm gonna ask a question kind of jumping off of that, which is in the day-to-day sessions, and and you don't need to get so detailed on your answer, but what are you measuring for your progress? Like, do people use gyms? Do you have like a, a sheet that they follow? where they input their metrics, do you have an app? Like, how are you tracking what people are doing and what are you really making sure that you keep track of so that you're progressing people appropriately without being able to see what they're doing in the clinic? Yep, yeah, that's huge. And that's actually a lot of times people's first question as far as like, so how does this actually work? Um, so I'm glad you asked that. Um, so I, I use an app. Uh, I use an app called Everfit. Uh, I was using True Coach for a while. A lot of people are familiar with that. Everfit just had a few more features um, that added to a little bit of the community aspect. So my clients can speak to each other in different things that kind of look like a Slack channel 
Um, within Everfit, it will track some metrics that we look for. I have when people first start a couple different uh, starting weeks, I guess I would call it, which again, based on what they have access to equipment wise, it's tweaked for everybody. So I have a few um, templates that I spent an ungodly amount of time making as far as like anticipating, depending on where they are in, in the journey. Um, Cause the cool thing has been, you know, I have some people pre-op, I have some people immediately post-op, I have some people who are years out. So obviously there's not gonna be a, and you guys know this, there's not the perfect program for everybody, but some templates for, um, that I created for a starting point for different people that we can change. Um, that's also things that I've created within Everfit so that that can uh, limit the amount of time that we're we're spending on the programming. But there is kind of like onboarding weeks for different types of um, starting points where I'll ask people, for instance, if, if they're not immediately post-op, the initial week will have um, like a 3RM for knee extension, hamstring curl, I'll look at different range of motion things. I'll have them fill. They they film a lot. That's one thing I tell people up, up front. Like if that's something you're not comfortable with, we might have to chat about that because that's really kind of how we bridge that gap between being in person and not, at least for now. Um, but to answer that initial question, there's an, there's an onboarding week with two or three different sessions where I'm having them film a bunch of stuff and that's giving me a lot of baseline information. Um, and then the other thing that's actually been really cool and has resulted in me developing relationships with other clinicians around the country that do formal testing because unfortunately it's not super common. <laughs> um, but, and I'm talking more about like either inline isometric or isokinetic testing. Um, so that's the other thing is as soon as, as soon as they're thinking about signing on, you know, we ask where exactly are you? Is there somebody I can connect them with? Because strength testing is something that's a non-negotiable. Um, I think I only have one client right now who's overseas in Sweden and over there, they just, it's like just nowhere near her. Um, so mm -hmm. again, for her goals, it's okay to be doing things like through RM testing and, and that kind of thing. But it's been, um, I now have some relationships with a bunch of clinicians that I wouldn't have otherwise met because they do testing and I'm like, Hey, I need to send somebody to you. Like, what's the, what's the, uh, logistics here? That's amazing, actually, that you can utilize resources. We were um, looking through your Instagram and, you know, there are other ACL like pages that you collaborate with. Um, that seems like a huge part of Instagram and just connecting is like there are people out there doing the same thing and you kind of have this community of like minded thinkers. And that sounds like a really big benefit, too. Yeah, it's been I've, I've felt very fortunate and I definitely recognize that half of you know, I'm actually not even like the hugest fan of the word like networking because I feel like it's sometimes mm -hmm. in like the business world has a negative connotation, but there's literally just, you know, like you said, it's like-minded people, people out there that have some of the same frustrations as you, some of the same goals and mission as you and being able to connect with them. And then sometimes, you know, in my case, like sometimes now years later, I'm like, hey, I know you guys do this. Would you you know, and I've even actually sent some people who I didn't think were appropriate for the virtual model to people that I know in their area that I knew I could trust. And that's also huge. Like I don't, I know and wouldn't want necessarily anybody who asks me about potentially being, you know, coming on as a client to just be like, yeah, just because they're a paying customer. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's not, it's not right for, for somebody. And that's been 
a really cool thing for me to be able to do because I don't think that, you know, maybe I'm a, a through way or a conduit for them to get to the the place that they need to. But if I can help triage and like sort of help steer people in a better direction than what they would do if they just went to where, you know, was affiliated with their doctor or something, then that's also a huge win. Wow. That's really great. Um, I want to dive into some other questions. I want to see if John and Chris have questions before I get into where we see PT in the next five to 10 years. <laughs> well, I, I think that's where my mind was starting to go to, but uh, let's, give, let's give Chris an opportunity. I don't know if you had any uh, stuff burning there, Chris. Uh, well, I'm not knowing a ton about your program and really being um, uh, hyper-focused on the concept of efficacy and effectiveness. So, I mean, you spoke to this a little bit with respect to strength testing as a measure. So um, can you talk through kind of your protocol of how you're proving the effectiveness or efficacy of, of what you're doing, what's your, what's your process? You mean to to the clients <laughs> themselves or like in general, like to outwardly? Uh, well, I think for the client and for you. So certainly we're going to say with the client, if it's patient-centered, well, what do you want out of this and have you achieved that and how are you feeling? Great. Uh, right. From a biomechanic perspective, maybe from the physical therapist perspective, where you say, I'd like to see them making these changes because that to me is the right trajectory. Yeah. How do you how do you quantify that or how do you at least qualitatively say they're hitting these right benchmarks? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the strength testing, that's why I'm kind of all hard ass about it just to make sure that we have concrete numbers there um and then things like those those weeks that i've put together to get baseline information we do those again periodically and look at the difference one of the the nice things about everfit is for every single exercise that actually has a weight assert associated with it um it will track it from the entire time the person is is on there so we can look at and then it like will graph it so at different time points i will look and again i know weight isn't necessarily the only quantitative marker for a lot of at least the first half of acl rehab it kind of is just because we need the the quads and the hamstrings to to get to certain points um so that's that's another piece and then i mean again client feedback is is huge the last piece that you know i've had the privilege of being a part of at least at this point like a handful five six different people's actual like later stages um so that's where now instead of it being you know a baseline info week it's a filmed 505 with time to of left versus right and T drills and 10 yard sprint things that like from um, looking at, for lack of better terms, just overall agility, um, we're actually measuring that too. And then I think the bigger piece, again, even though it's not always perfect, um, the qualitative piece of how it looks, because you can actually put it in slow-mo on Everfit too. Like you can look at people sprinting from the side, you can see how they're decelerating and changing direction. Um, kind of to a better degree than I can do in real time with people because <laughs> I can actually slow it down. Again, I would do that with people. Um, I would go, you know, they'd have to sign something, but I'd go to a field with some of my younger athletes that I had in clinic and I would film it, but then I'd have to look back at it anyway. Like I, I don't, I'm not skilled enough to sometimes pick up what I need to pick up on um, in real time. So when we get to those later stages, there's a different set of um, movements and tests that I have them do and compare side to side. 
Um, and then sometimes depending on um, the person, what they're, what they have access to there, if I know somebody in the area that can do that actual testing and have somebody there with them, I will have them do that. That would be like almost an ideal because it's, I know then the repeatability and validity of the setup. Cause that's the other thing too, is I have to coach people through setting that stuff up. So there's definitely um, those little pieces I would say are the, other than I like being in person with people too, the human aspect of it. But those are some of the pieces that really kind of pull me towards eventually also having a space and being able to do something hybrid, um, you know, be able to pay or be able to provide people with what they need between sessions um, and come up with a pay structure that is affordable, but a product that's beyond what they'll get anywhere else. Yeah. So kind of a two-part follow, and I'll be quick. It seems like, it sounds like most of your assessment would be side-to-side -side comparison. If you're saying we're making progress, how close are we getting side-to-side -side as a ratio? And then improvement, where you were last time we measured to now. Do you track also against normative studies or against trajectories from other research? Or is it So the biggest, the biggest thing is basically the normative we have for um, torque to body weight ratio. That's, that's definitely the biggest because I know firsthand that comparing to the other side and just using LSI is just not not going to cut it, especially if this is somebody we're talking about is contralateral injury or second injury. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing we use. We use body weight for for strength stuff. And then um, the like deceleration deficit, ideally being between, you know, not any more than 10% different um, and the qualitative piece as well. But those are probably the main normative things I compare against right now. Um, but I'm always looking to evolve and grow. So yeah, so I guess that's that gets to my last question is, is so if, if you had a magic wand, and you get an endless money, and you say, Wow, if I only had that, woo, yeah, my I would be able to really grade progress or show efficacy or change my treatment because I knew x, y, and z. Do you have those things that oftentimes come to mind? Oh gosh, if I were if I were able to pick anything or like I had had that space right now, I would have isokinetic machine, force plates, a long turf, uh, the gate speed detector things. Like it would be, it would be sweet. I would I would deck it out. But I think that honestly, even just having an isokinetic machine at disposal would be like bare minimum, I would have an isokinetic machine because the versatility of it and the amount of information that it gives without, I think, overcomplicating. I think that that sometimes becomes the case where like, like the amount of things that a force plate will spit out to you and maybe five of those things are super relevant for that athlete. Um, so yeah, I would love all of the things, but I think if I had to, if I had to pick one thing, I would... I would go with ice kinetic machine and your suit. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. <laughs> this is not a- uh, I think we could answer a lot of your questions this... and your desires. <laughs> this is not a pitch, but we are curious, where do you see PT going in the next five to 10 years? If you have any thoughts at all, because you're clearly an innovator in the field, you're around a lot of like-minded people. What do you, what do you hear? I don't know exactly what the, you know, the picture would be fuzzy, but I think the general idea of 
I, I think it's just, there's going to be a lot more non-traditional stuff. There's going to be a lot more people maybe staying part-time for a little bit, but exploring other things that both they're passionate about and that potentially can help pay their bills. <laughs> because um, I think that our generation and below especially are just, I think we're also realizing the disparity in the cost of education and then the income. Um, and then I think unless something changes as far as insurance and reimbursement rates, I don't see the frustration and burnout changing unless you have a super unique situation where your employer is just awesome and pays you six figures and, you know, you can come up with student loan debt repayment plan pretty quickly. Um, I, I think that there's just going to be way more people thinking outside the box and I just don't know exactly what the outside of the box thinking for everybody is going to be, but um, yeah, I just don't think unless cost of education changes or salaries change, I it's definitely going through that transition of people are just demanding more in the sense of being able to do in addition to the direct client care, which we love, you know, and I never not, I never didn't love that. It was just everything else that came with it that I couldn't do anymore. Um, and that's, a, that's what we're hearing a lot of from people like even a year or two out. Uh, we, we talked to a lot of students and new grads. That's basically the, the avatar for, for what we provide at, at Calu. And it's a lot of the same story. They're just like, I, this is all I do. I come home, I do notes, I eat, I go to bed and then I go back to work. And it's just like, I don't think we get paid enough, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so many follow-up questions to that. Um, uh, but uh, in the in the essence of time and, and conformity or consistency, uh, what's what's on your bedside table these days? What are you learning about? Uh, you know, it could be clinical. It could be completely off the wall. You know, what, give us a little window into to you as a as an individual. You know, is there something that you're keen on right now? Um, I, <laughs> I do try to read more fiction. Um, I should be better with that because I think it's just helpful in general. But currently, um, one of my next tasks as one of the mentors and co-founders in Calu is we are developing a an exercise-centric course. Um, and it's kind of a behemoth and Quinn, Quinn Hanak is doing most of it, but Zach and I have a couple of guest lectures within there. Um, and I am tackling, I'm actually not even hundred percent sure the specifics yet. Uh, Quinn and Zach might yell at me, but it's in the curriculum. Um, <laughs> but I'm covering a bunch of stuff on general return to sport. Um, and kind of Chris, what you were mentioning, like, what, what are we actually looking at? What's, what are we comparing it to? How do we know we're preparing somebody to return to the level that they want to? Um, so I, I bought the, uh, second edition of the strength and conditioning, um, now I'm going to forget the author. It's going to bug me. Um, but we can stick it in the show notes. Um, if you come up with it, just. Yeah, it's like ultimate link. strength and condition. I've, oh, gosh, it might be. I don't know, but it's basically a return to sports slash. <laughs> it's it's a nerdy book right now that's that's on my on my nightstand, but it's because it's one of the that's the season that I'm in. Um, but I would also say that. Uh, 
Zach and I have actually both been um, interested in starting to read fiction by female authors because there's actually just not a lot. Um, so he's dove into that a little bit. So I, I kind of kind of hopped on that as well. And then actually, um, other than you know the nerdy articles and stuff, um, we both really like to cook. So a lot of times, um, we actually were gifted a really nice uh, cookbook uh, by one of my mentors. And so we've been kind of, well, not right now since we're living at my sister's, but <laughs> we've been working our way through trying. Like you know, I've made a whole homemade gluten-free pizza crust that uh, actually works and doesn't fall apart um, and things like that. So I do, it's, it's cook science, the book that we got. And so it's that particular one um, was made in a test kitchen. So they, to fulfill the nerdy part of it, it's like, it's a recipe, but it also tells you like why things work and like how they're interacting together too. Um, so that kind of, that kind of stuff helps mix my nerdiness with some of the other, uh, maybe extracurricular activities. I love that. So it stayed together. How did it taste? It was really good. I mean, we, I was actually making it once a week on Sundays before we left Boston. Um, and I was very surprised because usually the alternatives are like, um, cause I don't, I can't eat gluten. So, uh, and it was a later in life development, which sucks cause I'm from New Jersey and I love pizza and bagels, but, um, it was, so granted you need like three or four different flours and there's um but it's really easy in a sense of like you can just hand mix it you literally just put like yeast water it's um there's some tapioca flour in there almond flour um i'm gonna forget i i could have told you off the top of my head like a month or two ago but we haven't been doing it consistently but it actually is like you don't i don't need like a stand mixer or anything it's like pretty easy and because you don't have to like shape the dough and it's not um What's the word like elastic you literally just roll it out and it like stays huh. it's I, I was the first time i made it, i was like this is definitely too watery to be like real dough and the way it actually cooks it gets like crispy on the bottom i was very i was very impressed <laughs> i love it i think we'll have to you're gonna go to csm boston next year i was gonna say we'll have to have a a cooking night or something but um that sounds delish um, last question for you, unless Chris has anything he wants to add. I don't mean to keep cutting you off over there. <laughs> um, if you could give words of encouragement to maybe PTs out there that maybe they're experiencing burnout right now, what would you encourage them with? That I think first things first, because what I, what I definitely struggled with and what we hear sometimes too is that, um, you know, when you're maybe in a situation where you feel like you could be doing so much better, um, what you are doing still matters. Like you still matter. I think that's one piece that I wish I had heard because even if it isn't practicing at the level that you want to be, um, you're very likely providing more than the standard already. So that's like, that's like first and foremost. Um, and then secondly, not that not that everyone has to jump ship and do their own thing like I did. I don't think that is for everybody, but I think that in some capacities, allow yourself to think outside the box a little bit as far as like, what other things are you truly passionate about? Sometimes it doesn't have to be within PT, you know, like maybe you do something in the culinary realm or you're, you're an outdoors person and you compete in certain things or you, um, 
provide coaching in some other aspect and that allows you to not necessarily be in the clinic as much or something like that. I would listen to those uh, interests and passions and see how maybe they can coexist. And it's not a bad thing to ask those questions. It doesn't mean that like, oh, I went to PT school. I should love PT and only PT. And if I don't, it's like a little bit of a failure. I think I went through that as well. Um, and I think that just like anything else, it's like two of my best friends from growing up are graphic designers. Graphic designers do freelance work all the time. And it's no, nobody thinks anything about that. So like, why couldn't, why couldn't we do something that's like the equivalent of freelance work and still, still do what we went to school to do? Um, so just be curious, I guess would be my other, my other piece of advice. That's really awesome. I love that advice a lot, actually. It's so easy to get locked into, this is my identity, this is what I went to school for, this is what I'm known as. I always kind of had a problem with that with PT anyway, but just the idea that you can create the life that you want for yourself, you can reinvent yourself, you can like other things, it's freeing. So I love that. Steph, thank you so much for joining us. This was a really amazing almost hour now that we, we borrowed from you, but um, we really think that those that are listening are gonna get a lot of really amazing nuggets of wisdom and maybe you'll join us on the podcast and we can get into more nitty gritties of ACL and data science and what else you're measuring and all of that. But this was an amazing, um, amazing part one, if you will. It was yeah. awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. And uh, where can we link with you? Like uh, give us your socials and you said you don't have a website, but give us your socials and everybody give stuff a follow. Um, yeah, so I'm mostly on Uncomfortable with Instagram. That's just stephallen.dpt. Um, if people have general questions too, my email is just steph at thelevelupinitiative.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steph. Appreciate your time. You've been listening to the Force Matters podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and really want to hear from you. Visit us at our website at motusi.com. Our new Instagram handle is at Force Matters Podcast. DM us there, participate in our Force Matters mailbag segments, and just keep following along. Until our next one, keep moving.